Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. You get to pick. We're going to be in that kind of general general area. We're going to talk about, uh, or I'm going to do most of the talking, uh, we're speaking in tongues. That is the topic for the day. And some of you are like, have been waiting for this for so long. Uh, Paul, in, in the book of Corinthians, uh, there's all kinds of things that he's addressing. And this, this group of uh, people who had not been believers in Christ for very long, they, <clears throat> they just didn't have a good grip on their, their gifts and were very drawn toward gifts like speaking in tongues, ones that were, that were kind of supernatural and they began to exalt those people above the others. And then it kind of created a lot of division and problems. And so Paul is trying to sort that out. And so he spends chapter 12 and chapter 13 really laying a foundation to understand what happens in 14, where he addresses tongues and prophecy and how that fits into the worship service. And rather than go top to bottom in 14, because that would, that would be a few weeks of worth of stuff, I want to just approach the one, the one topic of spiritual gifts, which will allow us to kind of review everything, but also to target one that is, uh, has, is misunderstood a lot of the time. And, uh, one that we really like for the sake of, for the sake of the gospel and for sake of the church, we really need to understand it. So I'm going to approach this like an, like more like an equipping class, like a topical thing. Um, I'm going to approach it and and basically trying to answer three questions, uh, what is speaking in tongues? Where do we see it in the Bible? And who speaks in tongues? And kind of unpack those questions and then kind of land on like, a, so what do we do with this information? So um, I know that TED Talks are supposed to be like 20 minutes or so, but this will be longer than that. But that's what it kind of feels like for me. So just humor me as we go. Uh, so first question, what is it? What is speaking in tongues? Uh, if Can I just do a quick survey? If your church background is Southern Baptist, just hand, a few hands in the air. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you if your church ground if church background is just not Southern Baptist, everything else, let's just put them all in one big gumbo. Who is not Southern Baptist background? Okay. Cool. So um, there's uh, there the Baptist church kind of ignores this largely this this whole subject. And we'll talk about where that comes from. Uh, the non-Baptist church, uh, it, and by, by everyone else, some ignore it. Some put a lot of emphasis on it. Some of you probably raised your hand because you didn't grow up in church at all. So you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, what is speaking in tongues at all? One thing that will help us understand this is to know what the Greek word that's used uh, for tongues, like what, what can it mean? Um, and I have a, a, some examples here, but I'm not going to go through all of them specifically. Uh, let me just tell you that the, where that Greek word shows up, and they have to translate it into English, sometimes it's the word tongues. Sometimes it's the word tongue, like your actual like physical tongue. Uh, other times it's language or languages, like the, the, the many languages of the world, that kind of thing. And then other times it's talking about the, the physical act of speaking. And so it can mean a bunch of different things. And so it's probably helpful and important if we kind of pull all that together. And uh, I could take you to Mark. I could take you to Revelation. I could take you to First John. Um, I could, could take you to a lot of places to show where all those different things happen. But, but that word, when it was said in Greek, it's glossa. When that word was there, all those things would have come to mind. 
The physical tongue, the act of speaking, and the language that you speak, and the languages of the world. And so this spiritual gift, if we're going to try to like pin it, pin it down, it has to do with speaking languages. That's, that's important and helpful. That it's, it's not anything else. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, being slain in the spirit. It doesn't have anything to do with like Benny Hinn touches your, your head and you fall on the ground and they put a sheet over you, like all that kind of stuff. It's not, it's not associated with that kind of stuff. It's not associated with any kind of movement or, um, or denomination or anything else like that. It starts in the Bible and it's this really common word that just has to do with the act of speaking languages. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, This helps us get towards a definition. So I'm going to look at the verse, and then we'll give you like a, like a definition that can, can kind of work from. 14 verse 2 says this, For one who speaks in a tongue, okay, one who speaks in a language, one who actually says words and communicates, um, in this terms of, of gifting, speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay? The gift of speaking in tongues has to do with uttering mysteries in the spirit. It's, 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 a, it's an unknown language to this person who is speaking. It says it's not talking to men, it's, it's speaking to God. All right, look, look at it again. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understand him, understands him because he's uttering mysteries in the spirit. Okay, so so let's let's take that and uh, I got this definition. I'm not sure where where I got this definition from. I usually try to give credit. Uh, it was just in some notes that I have, and I didn't credit the source. But uh, here's a working definition that pulls from what what Paul has written and what we see in Acts in different places. And so here's like kind of a definition: speaking in tongues is uh, words of prayer or praise spoken to God in syllables not understood by the speaker. Okay, prayer or praise that's going on, and and you don't you, your words of praise are to God. Your words of prayer are to God. So it's something that's to God directly. But what the person who's the person who's speaking, what they are, it's not a language that they know. And that is beautiful, right? Like that's a there's there's something that's very important. Uh, for like, if we're gonna try to like, I want to think correctly about this. I think the the first thing that we have to really think about is that speaking in tongues is a miracle. Like it is outside of the natural. It's supernatural. It's it's not normal to to speak to God in a language that you don't know. That's not normal, right? We when we pray, we're speaking English. When we sing praise, we're singing. In, in English, we understand what's happening, and this is a whole other thing. It is miraculous. And unfortunately, uh, our like modern tendency is anything supernatural, anything we don't understand thoroughly, anything mysterious, we, we tend to just kind of put over here in this category and say, that's, that's weird. And some have even stepped away and said, to the extent that said that's wrong you know, or incorrect. But what we need to do is we need to let the Spirit speak through His Word and take it out of, out of a category that's anything other than beauty. Like it's, 
It's a miraculous move of God among us. That's, that's the right way to think about it. Another way to think about that in the same line of thinking is like it's a spiritual gift. And this is what Paul, how he describes them. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. So here we are, like, cruising along in our lives, and things are normal, and then something abnormal happens. Something, everything's natural, and then something supernatural happens. And what does that do? It, it, get, it gets your attention, and it reminds you that God is here, and he's doing stuff. That God is always breaking into our realities, and breaking into our norms, and into our status quo, and he's always, like, jumping in there to remind you, I'm with you, I'm there. In fullness, and you're full because I've filled you, and I'm I'm maintaining your fullness. And so this this is what spiritual gifts do. They're supposed to interrupt the norm and in these unique manifestations of the spirit. And there are some of these gifts, like tongues and like healing, and even times of prophecy and like these like these dynamic works of the spirit that are supposed to get our attention. That's that's what they're for. But because it's a spiritual gift, what, are, what, are, what do gifts do? The whole point of them is to strengthen the faith and point everyone to Jesus. That's what it's supposed to do. But unfortunately in Corinth, the gift had become the focus. The obsession had become over speaking in tongues. And we're so good as humans at getting distracted from the creator. And we look at the creation. You know, We obsess over that thing. And he's like, hey, the whole point of it is to, to point to me. And so... So we have to think of this as a miracle, and we have to remember what do miracles do? They point us to the Lord. We have to think of this as a spiritual gift. What do spiritual gifts do? They point us to the Lord. And the third thing, and this is kind of a more of a like meta way of thinking of it, is that this gift of languages heals what happened in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Um, You might remember the story. Humans got together and they thought they were pretty awesome and pretty smart. And they said, let's build a tower all the way to God. And it was this exercise in pride and hubris. And uh, they started to do that. And God says, they're they're forgetting that they're broken. I'm going to remind them that they're broken. I'm going to take that one language that they're using to communicate in building. And I'm going to throw a bunch of languages out there at them. And then they're not going to be able to communicate. They're not going to be able to build it. And they're going to walk away scratching their heads being like, what happened there? It's not God being a bully. It's God being very kind and very compassionate of saying, you need to know that the real problem is inside. Um, And so that's where this plurality of languages came from in Genesis 11. And what we see through this gift of languages is we see God bringing healing to that division. Because he begins to intervene in the division the divisions that happen among languages, right? Like languages are one of the things that divide us. And uh, there are plenty of times in life as we are going about life where you get into a situation and, and you, you hate the fact that you're speaking a different language than the person you're trying to interact with. I mean, how many times have you been in a situation and you're like, man, I, I wish I knew Spanish. I wish I knew French. I wish I knew whatever, whatever it is. When I go to India and we're at the boys' home uh, and the girls' home with Naveen and all them, and I'm like trying to communicate, and and I'm like, if I would do anything, just have Bengali, like Matrix style, like downloaded into me in this moment, so I can communicate with these kids. And it's it's this divisive thing. 
And that started a long time ago. And what happens when, when the Holy Spirit shows up is that begins to be healed. And it forecasts the healing of the nations and what we see in Revelation 5 where we're gathered around the tree. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and the nations are worshiping. And we don't know if that's in one language or in everyone in their own language, but it's not a situation where language is divisive. And so this gift forecasts heaven for us as well. And so speaking in tongues, praying, praising, communicating the gospel, uh, like it is, it is this gift, but the person who is like uttering the words does not know the language that they're speaking. This miraculous spiritual gift among us that we get to be uh, a part of showing that what happened at Babel is being healed as a part of the gospel and getting us ready for the new earth where those things will not be the case. So what is speaking in tongues? It's all, all that right there. It's not weird. It's not, it's not for other people. It's not like, oh, that denomination does this, that kind of thing. This is our story. This is us. So that's the first question. What is, what is speaking in tongues? Second thing, where, where do we see speaking in tongues in the Bible? Because that's going to really help us understand what I, everything I just explained, how that actually fleshes out in real life. Where do we see it in the Bible? We, we don't see it a lot, honestly. Like it's, it's not a big theme of Scripture. Uh, we don't see Jesus talking about it. We don't, we, we don't see it being emphasized. Definitely not to the, de- to the degree that Corinth is emphasizing it. Um, and so Paul, is he's not trying to downplay it, but he's, he's trying to pull it off the pedestal a little bit and contextualize it for everything. So, so for us, here's, so here's this concept of a, a speaking language gift that God has put among all the other spiritual gifts. Where does it show up in the Bible? There's, there's really three expressions. The first one we see in Acts chapter 2. And it's where you where the the language that is being spoken is a is a known language like it's a it's a pre existing language it's one that humans already speak um, and it, at Pentecost uh, you have a bunch of uh, like Jesus' disciples who had witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection and Jesus says you need to go back and pray and wait because I'm going to send the Helper to you. When the helper shows up, this is what happens. Acts chapter 2, let me read it to you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So as they're worshiping, they begin to worship not in Hebrew, but in these other languages that are spoken by people who have traveled in from all these different parts of the world to the festival. And they hear this ruckus and they come in and they're like, how does that guy know my, my language? He's a Galilean. He should not know. He should not know my language. And it's, it's happening all around the room. There's like 120 something people. And so all these different languages are being spoken. It says all the nations under heaven 
which really means that everywhere that Judaism had spread, um, and then he goes on to list like 13 different countries that were there. And so imagine if we were here worshiping like we were earlier, and uh, then some folks from the community here who are from different parts of the world and speak different native languages came in, and they're like, how does that guy, how does that guy know Portuguese? Come on. How in the world, how in the world does she know Hindi? That, that's what it would be like. The worshipers don't know the language. They're just worshiping the Lord. But the Spirit has ignited something in them. And what that did in that moment was it validated what was happening. Because this person walks in and they're like, okay, you shouldn't know my language. Something different is happening here. Something unique is happening here. And they began to pay attention to it. They were amazed by it. And after they begin to worship, if you keep reading the story, Peter like realizes what's going on, and he like calls a timeout. And he's like, let me tell you what's happening here. Uh, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who he is to you and who he wants, and, and the gospel begins to be presented, and these people come to know the Lord. And then they get filled with the Spirit, and all this stuff is happening, and then persecution happens, and they all go home, and the gospel spreads all throughout the region, and then eventually it got to you. And that's where all this comes down to. Like we are, we are the fruit of... Of this gift, like being these seeds being planted all these years ago, this gift is a part of how it got to us. And so when people are dismissive of speaking in tongues, they, it's like, you don't understand the story. We ought to be so grateful that this gift exists because God used that to get the gospel going and spreading and to bring it to the nations. And you know what? He still does it. Like there are, this gift still lives. You, if you hear the stories that missionaries tell about how the language barrier is overcome, uh, it's this gift coming to fruition. There are all kinds of stories out there. If you ever have a chance to someone who served on the field long term, ask them, are there any like, things about language that you really saw God do? And it's all variants of this exact thing that we see. There are stories where someone is sharing the gospel with someone and then they're saying, like, how do you know my language? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm just talking to you in English. Like, you aren't talking English to me. You're talking my language right now. People can understand things. We were at camp this last week. There was a young man uh, from, uh, from Kenya, and they asked him to pray over us in Swahili at the end. And I was thinking about this message of being like, I bet there's some people in the room that are like, how did I understand? When I learned Swahili, I didn't know I knew that. Because that gift will empower you to hear as well. And so what we see happening in Acts is this expression of the gift in languages that already exist on the earth. And it's still alive and it still happens. Uh, it's, it's still a thing. But it's different than what we see in Corinthians. Sometimes we lump them all together. What happens in Acts is describing what happened. It's not saying this should happen for everyone. This should be everyone's experience. That's called prescribing. Uh, It's just describing. This is what God did, um, and we know that God has continued to use that gift in that way with known languages. Most of your questions, though, have to do with the second kind, which is people speaking an an unknown language, like a a language that doesn't exist on the earth. And I said this earlier. I'm not talking about like how Tolkien like wrote a whole language for Lord of the Rings. I'm not talking about like that kind of stuff. I'm talking about. Like, not someone made up a new language. Like, it is a language from heaven. There are syllables connected to one another that do not make a lot of sense. That kind of stuff. And so we see this show up in Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. 
Paul describes what this gift is like. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, and he's talking about this, this kind of speaking in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? Okay. If, if you are praying, and you are praying in English, then your mind and your spirit are cooperating with one another, and you are speaking the words to God, and as God adores it, and it's fantastic and awesome. Speaking in tongues, though, is a gift that some people have, where it's, it's like their, their mind and their spirit are not connected in the way that they are when you're praying in English, and they begin to pray from their spirit. Their spirit kind of connects to the mouth. And there is, it's like syllables and things like that that do not, they don't make any sense. It's unintelligible. But your spirit knows what's happening and the, the deep part of your spirit is connected to the deep part of God and the mind is like just like cheering you on but doesn't really know what's, what's happening. And I know this because I've talked to people with this gift and asked them about their experience and said, uh, is this verse, is that, does what Paul says here, is that consistent with your experience? And absolutely, Yes. Is it mysterious? Totally. Don't understand it thoroughly? Is it beautiful? Absolutely. Like, how, how incredible is it that this miraculous gift, is ha- like something like this is happening among us? Just as amazing as when healing happens. Just as amazing as when salvation happens, as when forgiveness happens, as when restoration and reconciliation when when everything about the gospel happens we should just be stunned this is not to be exalted but it's also not to be put on a shelf and so just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that we shouldn't embrace it and celebrate it this gift this expression of the gift is a is a it's a personal thing. It's a it's a private thing, meaning that like uh, someone wouldn't come and close our service today in prayer and pray in tongues. That Paul's like, not, you don't need to do that. But that's what that's what the Corinthians were doing. Like it became a badge that they wore of like who was who was real spiritual and that kind of stuff. And those people began to be exalted. And he's like, no, 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 that's not like this. This is for you and the Lord. Because what's the point of spiritual gift? It's, it's for the common good. And what Paul tells us is that if the common good can't understand it, then don't do it. Like, don't bring that to the table because it's not building anyone up. It's confusing them. It's not making them, it's not strengthening their faith. It's kind of weakening their faith because they become skeptics of everything that's happening. And so this gift is for you and the Lord. It's an intercession gift. It's a stand in the gap gift. It's not, it's not for, um, it's not for the body in, in that public kind of way. And this is where he expresses that. Um, well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll get to that in a second. I'm a little bit ahead of myself. We have to keep in mind that everyone doesn't operate in this gift. We have to keep in mind that praying in tongues is not more spiritual or more deep than praying in English. It's not a varsity JV situation. It's, it's the family of God. And some people are gifted this way and some people are not gifted this. So this, this is not one of my gifts. I think it is awesome. I wish that I had this gift, but I don't. And I'm so thankful that there are people who do. So the first expression that we see in the Bible is in Acts where they're speaking 
existing languages. The second is uh, often referred to as like a prayer language, and it's where someone is praying in an unknown language with their spirit to God. The third thing is is a it's a revelatory experience. And it's, it's basically, there, it's the coupling together of someone speaking in tongues and then someone interpreting into, like, into the language that we all speak what was just said. And so it's kind of a tag team in, in the third one. So there's speaking in tongues and there's the interpretation of those tongues is how Paul says it. Uh, if you look in 12 verse 10, as he's talking about the variety among us, He's in the list, he says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So those, those cooperate together in this third expression. Um, and so this is when the, the unknown message of tongues is interpreted and clarified and spoken, uh, and, and they usually follow one another. And the times when I've seen this this third expression uh, happen in corporate settings, um, this is going to make some of you nervous. But someone like stands up, and they begin to speak out loud in like in tongues, like in the second kind of tongues, in an unknown heavenly language. And everyone gets quiet and listens, and then either that person or another person will then offer an an in English translation or interpretation of what was just spoken because the spirit ignites a gift in one person and either gives them the interpretive gift or gives someone else the interpretive gift. And that's when, and that like validates it because then everyone knows what was just said. So if someone stands up, like speaks in tongues, don't do it. Someone stands up and speaks in tongues and then one's quiet and nothing happens and it's like, all right, well, let's keep going. What, what did that just do? It didn't strengthen anyone's faith. It didn't build the body at all. It didn't point us to the Lord. It pointed us to that person. And then we're all distracted and confused and trying to like figure out what to do with that. And then we might as well just go home. Now, if that person stands up and speaks in tongues and then someone else or that same person, if it is interpreted... Then we, it's no longer mysterious what was just said. Now we know what was said, and it becomes a prophetic moment. And then we have to figure out, what do we do with the fact that we just heard a word from the Lord? And in my experience, those, that interpretation, uh, the, 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 valid, the times when it's like, man, that was really good, is when they're basically just quoting the Bible again. You know, like The scripture is how we know when those moments are authentic, and so that's a whole other kind of thing. But that happens. And there are a lot of churches where that's a part of Sundays for them. Um, and there's, there's only really one time that I was uh, in charge. I was like in leadership of a service where that happened. And so it's not been a common, common thing. I've been a participant in services before where that's gone on in churches where that's normal. Um, but this is like an, an alive and well thing that does happen and continues to happen. And so uh, it's... It's awesome. Just because you come from a tradition or you're in your experience that's not part of it, maybe it, it might feel strange or uncomfortable. And even me describing it might be like, oh man, I would die if that, that would be the. Like, I'm not hoping that that happens, honestly. I told the first service. Like, it's something that I'm like, I don't know what I would do if someone just like broke out into it, you know, as in charge of the service. I would hope that'd be like a day I'm on vacation or something, you know, uh, because I, I'm not real sure. 
how to do that in a church where that's not like that's not the lane that we're in all the time because i i would just have to trust that god would guide us through that moment just like he guides us through all the moments but what i can't do is say that's wrong or weird or whatever it may be just because I, it's it's unfamiliar to me i have to look at it the way that scripture talks about it and what scripture says is this like this gift of tongues exists in pre-existing languages and unknown languages like privately and also when it's interpreted it can be a public worship thing and in all three of those what is the what is the goal to strengthen faith and to point to jesus if that if those things are happening as of as a follower of christ i'm on board the bible validates it why would i not want the spirit to at work among us and all of us resulting in praise and worship to the lord i don't i'm on board with it but admittedly uh, it's like something that I'm, i've had to like work toward uh be, because that's not necessarily where i come from so um verse four in chapter 14 26 and 28 he says this he says what then brothers what when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Paul's like, look, it would be better for you to keep your mouth shut than to distract from what's happening. And so you better know, you better be discerning in that moment uh, about what is happening because otherwise, like you're being problematic in the furthering of the gospel. He's very serious about this. And he's telling the church, oh, you guys are trying to bring all your stuff in here and everything's getting out of order and you, you got to recognize that that God has put a plurality of gifts in place. He's doing a lot of things at one time. And so this beautiful gift can be a dangerous gift if you let it. And that kind of brings me to my third question. Who, who can speak in tongues? Because this, this issue in, in uh, the last couple of decades has been really, really problematic in America. Um, and, and, and in other parts of the world like, as well, and in throughout history, of course. But really, we're still living in generations of pain because this gift once again became exalted uh, and then overcorrected into it being put on the shelf. And so if we're talking about who can speak in tongues, there are two extreme camps that maybe you have heard of. One camp, uh, they are, they're called cessationists, and that's rooted in the idea of ceasing. And they would say that this gift is dead. They would say that God used tongues and healing and these kinds of miracles and prophecy and these kinds of things. He used them in the first century church to spread the gospel everywhere. And once the gospel was out there and the apostles began to die, the Bible was complete. And so now we don't need all those, those miraculous things because we have the Bible and the Bible is going to now take the place of those uh, those kind of supernatural things. So God, yes, they were valuable. God used them. They were important. But they ceased to be active now. 
And that comes from a poor interpretation in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Paul is saying that when he says, when the perfect comes, these gifts will cease. Well, he's talking about Jesus. Like when Jesus comes back, we're not going to need any of these gifts. And that's why love is the only one that will cross with us over to the other side. And so uh, that's what it means. But they're saying, no, the perfect is the Bible. And so they put a timeline on it. And they've, that's been the explanation. And that comes because uh, in the history of the church, in the 1700s and 1800s, churches were faking miracles in order to convince people of things and attract more people and basic and like using it to make money and build massive structures, right? So uh, that the overcorrection to that was, oh yeah, if everybody's faking all these things, guess what? They're done. And they just kind of made up this belief that got handed down as though that's how it is. And so some of you grew up in churches where that was a fundamental belief in the, by, on the part of the leadership of the church, which is why you don't ever talk about it. Or you only talk about the Acts 2 part of it. You're like, yeah, man, God did this really cool thing, and then, uh, then he stopped. That's the cessationist. The other, the other extreme, so if, if cessationists say no one should do it, you have like Pentecostal charismatic kind of belief, which says that everybody should do it. And in fact, if you can't do it, it means that you're not really saved. That the only evidence for being filled with the Spirit is the ability to speak in tongues. If you can't, then you're not. And so no one should do it. Everyone should do it. And this group, that comes from a very poor interpretation of Acts 14. And so they both have their scriptural things. They both have hunkered down. And Paul would say, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. It is not something that has ceased to exist. It absolutely exists. And it's also not something that everyone has. And so let me read, let me read why, why I say that and why, Paul, uh, or I, why I'm agreeing with Paul. Look in... Look at 12, 4 through 11. We've read this before, but think about it in this context. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Does that, does that sound like everybody has to do this kind of thing? No, absolutely not. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, healing uh, by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To the other, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So does that sound like everybody has to do this? No. Does it sound like this gift is dead? Doesn't sound like it to me. Does it sound like Paul is, is speaking in terms of something that's temporary? The gospel's already made it to Corinth. He's like, well, well now I made it to you. There's no reason for it to keep on. If you skip down in chapter 12 and 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Here's his rhetorical question. The answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are, there, are all prophets? No. All teachers, all work miracles, all possess gifts of healing. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? I know he's, both of those extremes are absolutely wrong. And so to sum up, is this gift still active among us? Yes. Cessationists have, uh, have brought about like another kind of group that's like in between those extremes. This is the, every, the no one should and the everybody should. They're in the middle 
is people who have labeled themselves continualists. <laughs> These gifts are continuing to be a thing. That's where, that's where we need to be. That's where the Bible is. That's where uh, human experience is all around the globe. Does, these, does the gift of tongues, is it active among us? Yes. In our church? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, our goal is to steward this gift just like every other gift. Steward it as well as we possibly can. So who speaks in tongues? Not everybody, but some of you. Some of you, this is a gift that God has for you. And maybe even this study is a part of like drawing, drawing this out in you. So, what is speaking in tongues? Talked about that. Where do we see in the Bible? Talked about that. Who speaks in tongues? Not everybody, but some people. So what do we do, what do, we do with this? Like, what does this have to do uh, with us? Well, let me give you four quick things. One, uh, you, we have to pursue our giftedness. And so if, if this is stirring something in you, like if you're really inquisitive and you're, but, but not in the like, not even just in the like, I like to know facts kind of way, but in the like, your spirit is stirred. Then uh, I'm gonna, I told the early service, I'm just gonna make myself the point person for that. But there are people in our church who operate in, in this gift. And the second kind of gift in the list, the prayer language kind of gift. And they would love to talk to you about your questions because at one point they also like were getting stirred up about something. They're just further down the road. And so if you would like to be put in contact with someone who has this gift and just have a conversation about it and ask some more questions, I'd love to broker that, uh, that conversation. But you have to steward what God is stirring within you and so... Uh, if you're curious, then you need to be, you need to follow that up. If if you are not curious about this and you don't feel drawn to it, and you're kind of like me, like I'm like I desire it, but I don't feel that that's what God has for me. What are we supposed to do? We're we're supposed to be so grateful for the that there are people who do. Like I feel I feel it feels just such such gratitude that there are folks among us who have this gift, just like I'm thankful for all the different gifts that God has peppered all around us. And so we should be thankful for that. We should encourage people with that gift to use it. People, people with this kind of gift, they, it tends like the, the foreshadowing of this maybe being one of your gifts is if you are like really drawn to pray. Like if like intercession and prayer is like very, it's natural. It's just, it's, it's the place that you go and you love to do it. It frustrates you that other people don't. Uh, those, like a lot of times people with this gift, they're just natural intercessors. And it makes sense because it's a prayer gift, right? So the first thing, steward your gifts, whether this is one or not, like you have to pursue that. The second thing is we have to encourage one another in our spiritual formation and our de- the development of our gifts. And so if you are having conversations with people about the different giftedness and things about yourself or whatever it may be, like spur one another on, encourage one another. If your friend says, "I kind of want to talk to someone about it, but I'm I don't know, I feel weird about it," don't let them sit there and feel weird about it. Offer to go with them. Like we sh- we should be like arms interlocked, like like championing one another as whatever our giftedness is that we could follow the Lord more deeply into what He's doing and that He's active among us. 
The third thing we have to do is we have to let, we have to let gifts do what they do. Like it should strengthen your faith that this gift is among us. It should point you to Jesus that this gift is here. Like, um, and so we have to let our gifts like unleash them so that we are continuing to strengthen and grow. And that there's a depth, and depth will lead to width. The fourth thing is to thank God for this miraculous activity among us. Isn't it incredible that that the God of the universe, I mean, this God that we worship, is going to come and give the manifestation of the Spirit to each of us for the common good, that there are these ways that he is showing up among us. And some have a subtlety to them, and some, some get your attention, like healing or tongues or those kinds of things. There's, there's language gifts. But top to bottom, we're, if it's strengthening our faith and it's pointing us to the Lord, then we should be grateful that this is happening among us. And to fan into flame the gift of God. And so all of these gifts are really supposed to bring us back to, uh, to those, two, those two big ideas. It's supposed to strengthen our faith, like, like make us trust the Lord more. And point us to Jesus because Jesus is the one that set all this into motion. Like he had a choice to make. And he told his disciples before his crucifixion of like, I'm, they're going to kill me, but the father's going to raise me. But then I'm going to go away again so that the helper can come. And when the helper comes, you are going to do greater things than I have done. You're going to heal more people than I healed. You're going to you're going to free from bondage more people than my words freed from bondage. You're going to speak in other languages. Like Jesus saw all of that and standing in between him and all of that incredible power being unleashed, there was the cross. And he said yes to it. He said it's worth it. Jesus said yes to the cross. The Father said yes to the resurrection. The Spirit said, I'll empower all of it. Let's go. And so all this whole series, all of this is supposed to ultimately land us in deeper awe of the Lord. And so we're going to close, kind of bring this whole summer series to a close, even though we have Wednesday. And if you're coming Wednesday... I'd love to know what questions today sparked in you and let that kind of shape what we do on Wednesday night. But as we bring this to a close, we're just going to sing some Jesus songs because all of this is like reminding us that he's with us and he's active among us. And so I do hope that this has been helpful. Like, in a like, yeah, I've always kind of wondered about this and this and this, what the Bible has to say. But at the end of the day, how cool is it that God is moving? And all we have to do is join in. Here's one final one final verse. 2 Corinthians 14, 12. As messed up as the Corinthian church was, this is what he has to say about them. He says, So you yourselves, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He described them as being eager for manifestation of the Spirit. Wouldn't you love for people to describe our church that way? Like, and those folks are eager.
for God to show his face. For God to show it like they want it bad. I love that he said that about them. And I hope uh, that the same can be said of us in increasing measure until he comes back. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. And we're going to sing some songs about Jesus to Jesus. Lord, I'm so grateful for, uh, grateful to be here, grateful for, um, for a congregation that's like, yeah, teach us about speaking in tongues. We have lots of questions. Um, that wouldn't be something that we shy away from just because it's different, you know, for a lot of us. And for some in the room, uh, this is like just part of life. And so you might be just glad to hear it talked about. But the bottom line is, it's not about that gift. Like the, We don't want to make the same mistake that we see in Corinth. We don't want to focus on the gifts. We want to focus on the one who's given us the gifts. It's not about how the Spirit manifests as much as it is that the Spirit is manifested among us. God, you showing up and making yourself known and you moving among us that we would be humble and teachable enough for that to happen. So at the end of the day, this is all about the exaltation of Jesus above everything else. Jesus, you said yes. And because of your yes, uh, we are here and we are free. We're sons and daughters in the family and there's so many layers of gratitude for us. And so as we sing these songs focused on you, it's in recognition of this is what gifts are supposed to do is have us really just in more and more in awe of you and trusting you more. And so as we sing or pray or just respond to what's stirring in us, I pray that you're honored by the songs and prayers of your people.